August 7th, 1982, Santa Fe, New Mexico. A Catholic priest named Father Ronaldo Rivera receives a phone call from a man asking him to administer last rites to a dying relative. After leaving to meet this man, Father Rivera disappears and is eventually found murdered. Two years later, another Catholic priest named Father John Kerrigan disappears from the community of Ronan, Montana, and though his body is never found, the evidence suggests that he was also murdered. Authorities begin theorizing that both these murders are connected, but it turns out that one of these priests might have been harboring dark secrets. After that, the trail went cold. Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 13 of The Trail Went Cold. I am your host Robin Warder and I will be covering another classic Unsolved Mysteries segment today. This time, you're essentially getting two stories for the price of one, as I will be covering two unsolved cases involving Catholic priests which might be connected. The 1982 murder of Father Ronaldo Rivera and the 1984 disappearance of Father John Kerrigan. This story is actually a listener request from one of the Trail Went Cold's biggest fans, and she also happens to be the moderator of the Unsolved Mysteries message board at the Sitcoms Online Forum and goes by the handle Looks Like C. Ricci, which if you're wondering means Looks Like Christina Ricci. Uh, Anyway, Looks Like C. Ricci has been a major supporter of this podcast since day one, so I'm more than happy to fulfill her request. Uh, She specifically asked that I cover the story of Father Kerrigan since she happened to grow up in the same area of Montana where this crime took place, and it was apparently a pretty big deal there when it happened. Not to mention that some pretty interesting revelations have surfaced about Father Kerrigan since his case originally aired on Unsolved Mysteries. However, the case of Father Rivera is equally as interesting, so I'm going to cover them both, even if they might not actually be connected after all. I previously covered these two cases in an article I wrote for ListFirst.com titled 10 Creepy Unsolved Rest Stop Mysteries, which was originally published in September of 2015. Because if there's one thing Unsolved Mysteries has taught me, it's that isolated rest stops in the middle of nowhere are scary-ass places. But before we get started, let's get some business out of the way first. The Trail Went Cold now has its own PayPal account and a new donate button on the website for anyone who's feeling generous. Uh, We've received a couple of donations already, and the latest one I received is from a fan named Julian, whom I have corresponded with via email a few times, so thank you, Julian. Uh, So if there's anyone out there who feels like making a donation, we would be incredibly flattered and greatly appreciate it. But uh, keep in mind that I record these episodes weeks in advance, so if you've already made a donation and I haven't mentioned your name yet, that's only because it hasn't happened yet at the time I recorded this. But don't worry, I will give everyone an acknowledgement on a future episode. 
The Trail Went Cold runs on a bi-weekly schedule, and a new episode is posted every other Wednesday. We've got our own Facebook and Twitter pages, and we're also available for download on several platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So if you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it. If you give us a rating or a review at any of these sites, you're opening the door for us to get more exposure and garner us some potential new listeners. So with that out of the way, let's begin, shall we? Our story begins in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1982, and our central figure is a 57-year-old Catholic priest named Father Ronaldo Rivera, who belongs to the Select Order of Franciscans and is a pastor at St. Francis Cathedral. Uh, Father Rivera was a very prominent and beloved figure in the community who had a major impact on many people's lives. According to a detective interviewed in the Unsolved Mysteries segment, about 90% of the residents of Santa Fe at that time would have known who Father Rivera was. Uh, Anyway, on the evening of August 7th, Father Rivera received a phone call at the rectory of St. Francis Cathedral from a man identifying himself as Michael Carmelo. Uh, Carmelo claimed that his grandfather was dying and that he immediately required the services of a priest to perform the last rites. He said he was calling from a payphone at a rest stop 20 miles away on Highway 301 near the small town of Waldo. Rivera agreed to the request, so Carmelo asked the priest to come meet him at the rest stop. He said he would be waiting for him in a blue pickup truck. Uh, Father Rivera then drove away from the rectory, and this would be the last time he was ever seen alive. When Rivera did not return, he was officially reported missing. Uh, There was no sign of him at the aforementioned rest stop near Waldo, so a massive search effort was undertaken throughout the surrounding desert area. Finally, three days after he disappeared, Rivera's body was found on a deserted road located three miles away from the rest stop. He had been shot in the chest. Strangely, nothing appeared to have been taken from Father Rivera except his last rights kit, so robbery did not seem to be the motive. Uh, Shortly thereafter, Rivera's car was found 110 miles away at another rest stop located near the town of Grants. Uh, The fuel tank was pretty much empty, so it seemed like the killer had stolen Rivera's car and driven it as far as they could before abandoning it. Uh, There wasn't any physical evidence to work with, as the entire vehicle had been wiped clean of fingerprints and bloodstains. Naturally, Father Rivera's death hit the community pretty hard, since he was such a beloved figure, and his funeral procession was treated as a major event in Santa Fe. So the obvious question was, who would want to murder him? Well, here's the thing. Father Rivera was not deliberately targeted. You see, Rivera was not the first priest to take a phone call from this Michael Carmelo at the rectory that night. Uh, Fifteen minutes beforehand, another priest named Father Patrick Gerard answered the phone, and he received the exact same request from Carmelo to come administer the last rites. However, Father Gerard had impaired vision and could not drive at night, so he asked Carmelo to call back in 15 minutes when someone else arrived. And sure enough, Carmelo phoned back, and this time Father Rivera picked up the phone. So if Father Gerard was able to drive that night, he probably would have gone to meet Carmelo and he would have been murdered instead of Rivera. It seemed like Carmelo just wanted to lure a Catholic priest into the desert and murder him, and he probably didn't even care who it was. Father Rivera just happened to be an unlucky victim who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
and it seemed like Carmelo wanted Rivera to be found since this was the desert and there were numerous spots you could dispose of a body and make it disappear forever, yet Rivera's body was just left right out there in the open. Uh, investigators actually suspected that multiple people were involved because Rivera was a strong individual and it would have been difficult for only one person to subdue him and drive him out to the location where he was murdered. Of course, when they performed a check on the name Michael Carmelo, they came out completely empty, so obviously the caller did not use their real name. And unfortunately, there just wasn't a whole lot for investigators to work with here because the crime just seemed so baffling and senseless. Uh, the case remained cold for a while, but another strange mystery involving a Catholic priest would occur only two years later. In the summer of 1984, 50-year-old Father John Kerrigan arrived in the town of Ronan, Montana. Like Father Rivera, Father Kerrigan belonged to the select order of the Franciscans and had previously been assigned to the St. James Parish in the town of Plain before he was transferred to Ronan and appointed as the new pastor at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church. However, Kerrigan was only in the community for two days before something really strange happened. On the evening of July 20th, Kerrigan was out jogging when he decided to visit a bakery across the street from the church at approximately 11 p.m. He chatted with a couple of local residents for a few minutes and said he was returning home to go to bed. But after that, Father Kerrigan just vanished without a trace. The following day, Kerrigan's clothes were found five miles outside Ronan at a turnout on Highway 35 near Flathead Lake. Uh, the shirt was just stained with blood, and a $100 bill was found in the pocket. A bloody coat hanger was also found at the scene. Uh, one week later, Father Kerrigan's car was discovered abandoned in a remote area five miles south, and the vehicle's keys were lying on the ground 30 yards away. Uh, the vehicle had been wiped clean of fingerprints, but there were blood stains all over the car's interior and in the trunk. A bloodstained shovel and a bloody pillow were also found inside the trunk, along with Father Kerrigan's wallet, which contained over $1,200 in cash. Uh, this was probably the most baffling aspect of the crime scene, because the wallet was lying right out there in the open with all this money on display, yet the perpetrator did not bother to take it. Uh, combined with a $100 bill found in Kerrigan's shirt, and it definitely seemed like robbery was not the motive here. And judging by all the blood evidence, it was pretty obvious that Father Kerrigan had been murdered. It's likely that someone might have used the bloody pillow to muffle the sound of a gunshot or something, and then used the bloody shovel to bury him somewhere. But to this day, Father Kerrigan's body has never been found. Anyway, when the investigators of Father Rivera's murder found out about Kerrigan's disappearance, they suspected they might be related. They started to theorize that the man calling himself Michael Carmelo was some sort of serial killer who liked to specifically target Catholic priests. Now, on the surface, you might not think there's a connection here because these crimes took place several states and thousands of miles apart, and there are pretty major differences with the M.O. Rivera's killer left him out in the open, but Kerrigan's killer actually went to the trouble of disposing of his body. However, investigators felt there were enough similarities between the two crimes to suggest a connection, including the fact that robbery did not appear to be the motive in either case. In an interesting parallel, both priests just happened to drive brown Chevrolets, and in each case the vehicle was driven away from the murder scene and abandoned. Uh, it's interesting that both these vehicles were wiped clean of fingerprints, but while there was no blood found in Rivera's car, the killer didn't even make an effort to clean up the blood evidence in Kerrigan's car. 
And then there's the bloody coat hanger found alongside Kerrigan's clothes. It's been speculated the hanger was used to either strangle Kerrigan or tie him up. Well, apparently, forensic evidence seemed to suggest that Rivero also might have been choked with a wire of some sort, possibly a coat hanger, though none was ever found. But I suppose the most compelling reason to feel these cases might be related is the fact that Rivera and Kerrigan both belong to the select order of the Franciscans, and the murders of Catholic priests are such a rare occurrence. There are only a handful of other unsolved murders involving Catholic priests which took place in the U.S. during the 1980s, but none of them contain any striking similarities to suggest they might be connected to Rivera or Kerrigan. But there's actually another unsolved disappearance which has a tentative connection to Father Kerrigan's case. On July 22, 1984, only two days after Kerrigan went missing, a 31-year-old man named Curtis Holman vanished from his hometown of Missoula, Montana, which is approximately 45 miles south of Ronan. Before he disappeared, Holman called his girlfriend and told her he was going to meet her at a local movie theater the following day, but he never showed up and no one ever saw him again. Twelve days later, his abandoned pickup truck was found on a logging road, and many of his personal items, including his glasses and wallet, were still inside. Apparently, a disoriented man resembling Holman had been seen at a Girl Scout camp 20 miles away, and he was rambling incoherently about Vietnam, but no one knows if it was actually him. When they searched the area surrounding Holman's truck, they found some footprints which matched his shoe size, but they were also overlaid with grizzly bear tracks. So if those were Holman's footprints, I think the best explanation for his disappearance would be that he was attacked by a bear. Uh, there isn't a lot of information out there about Holman's case, but apparently, his brother has gone on record as believing that his disappearance might be connected to what happened to Father Kerrigan. I'm not sure why he'd think that, as Holman's brother had not even seen him in months before he vanished. Uh, I wish I had some more context here. Does he think that Coleman and Kerrigan might have been killed by the same perpetrator? Or was Holman actually involved in Kerrigan's disappearance? It sounds like Holman was some sort of survivalist, so I suppose it's tempting to dream up a scenario where he murdered Father Kerrigan and then disappeared into the woods to live off the grid where he possibly met his end at the hands of a grizzly bear. But, other than the fact that Holman went missing only two days after Kerrigan, and their disappearance occurred within relatively close proximity to each other, I just don't see any tangible connection between the two cases. But while the connection between Kerrigan and Holman is pretty thin, I've also felt the same way about the connection between Kerrigan and Rivera. Even though both victims were Catholic priests and there were a few interesting similarities between the two crimes, it was always my gut feeling that they were committed by different perpetrators. I used to be maybe 80-90% certain that these cases were connected. However, I think my certainty is currently at 100%. And that's because some pretty interesting revelations about Father Kerrigan have been released in recent years, which sent his case in an entirely different direction. Okay. So, unfortunately, this story is now going to veer off into a pretty unpleasant subject. It's no big secret that the Catholic Church has been mired in scandal for quite some time over sexual abuse cases, where priests or employees of the Church have sexually molested children, but instead of punishing the perpetrators, the Church would simply transfer them to another parish and sweep the incident under the rug. 
There are way too many documented cases of Catholic priests sexually abusing children for decades and getting transferred by the church multiple times in order to cover the whole thing up. As you probably know, Spotlight, the film which took home the best picture at the Academy Awards this past year, covered this very subject. Well, there's a distinct possibility this topic might also have some relation to this case. One other reason investigators thought the murders of Father Rivera and Father Kerrigan might be connected is because Kerrigan had actually spent three months in New Mexico in 1983. But here's the thing. Kerrigan spent those three months at the Congregation of the Servants of the Paraclete Center, a retreat in Jimez Springs which is designed for priests with personal problems, including alcoholism, depression, and sexual misconduct. So here's a little background on the Congregation of the Servants of the Paraclete Center. Uh, it was founded by Father Gerald Fitzgerald in 1947. In recent years, some personal papers of Father Fitzgerald have been unsealed, and they revealed that he did not want to use his retreat as a rehab center for priests who sexually assaulted parishioners. He believed they were untreatable and should be defrocked for committing such a heinous act because they would reoffend if given the opportunity. He frequently told the higher-ups within the church that it was not a good idea to simply reassign these priests to another parish, but unfortunately, his concerns largely fell on deaf ears. Uh, Fitzgerald was eventually ousted from his leadership role, and he passed away in 1969. Over the years, the congregation of the servants of the paraclete would expand and open up additional centers outside of New Mexico. But by the mid-1990s, they were facing so many lawsuits related to their unsuccessful treatment of sexually abusive priests that most of these centers were closed. Unfortunately, all of the records related to the center in Jemez Springs were destroyed a long time ago, so I do not know the exact reasons for Father Kerrigan's three-month stay there in 1983. Theoretically, it could have been for something like alcoholism or depression, but there was quite an interesting development in April of 2015. Years earlier, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena was hit with a lawsuit from victims who claimed they were sexually abused as children by employees of the church. In the end, a total of 362 victims came forward. Uh, the two sides eventually agreed to a settlement which would involve paying $20 million in compensation to the victims. However, one of the turns of this settlement was that for the next 10 years, the diocese's website would publicly post the names of 80 employees who had been accused of committing sexual abuse. The list finally went up in April of 2013, and guess whose name was on the list? Father John Kerrigan. The website would also list every single assignment each of these employees had had during their times with the diocese. So... Father Kerrigan was originally ordained in 1954 and had a 30-year tenure as a priest before he disappeared. Guess how many parishes he was assigned to during that time? Thirteen. Yes, he was transferred a total of 12 times in 30 years. None of his assignments lasted longer than six years, and in 1965 alone, he was transferred three times. Now, keep in mind that technically... Father Kerrigan was only accused of sexual abuse. We are not privy to any specific details of the allegations against him. But if there is any truth to them, then it would explain so much about this case. Even before all these allegations came to light, there was always one element of this case which I found very sketchy. 
the fact that Father Kerrigan's wallet contained over $1,200. It's strange enough that the wallet was left behind in the trunk. Even if robbery was not the motive, why would the killer not take the opportunity to help themselves to $1,200 in cash which was just lying there right in front of them to take? But most importantly, why would a priest be carrying over $1,200 in cash in their wallet to begin with? Especially when you consider that he was last seen jogging at 11 o'clock at night. That always struck me as very unusual. Unless Kerrigan was planning to use that money to pay someone off. Remember, even though Kerrigan was not seen driving before he disappeared and gave every indication that he was going home to bed, his car was found abandoned several miles outside of town. You have to wonder if he felt compelled to drive somewhere that night for a secret meeting of some sort. If Father Kerrigan sexually abused children at some point in his life, then I am pretty convinced it was the motive for his murder. It seems like quite a coincidence that Kerrigan would be made to disappear just two days after being transferred to a new parish. I somehow doubt that violent crime was rampant in a small community like Ronan, and I don't think Kerrigan was in town long enough to make any enemies. Which is why I think his murder is probably related to something from his past. From 1980 until 1984, Kerrigan was assigned to the St. James Parish in Plains, Montana, and it was during this time period when he had his three-month stay at the Congregation of the Servants of the Paraclete Center in Jemez Springs. Let's just say he was sent down there because of allegations of sexual misconduct. When Kerrigan returned to Plains, he could have very well have had a relapse and sexually abused someone again, so the church decided to deal with the issue by transferring him to Ronan. It's possible the killer was some sort of vigilante who believed the church was never going to punish Father Kerrigan, so they decided to take the law into their own hands. There are numerous possibilities. This vigilante could have been the parent of an abused child, a victim who had been abused by Kerrigan as a child years earlier, or just someone who had knowledge about Kerrigan's transgressions and believed that he needed to be dealt with. I'd say it's most likely the motive would be related to something which happened in Plains, since I'm not sure anyone who was victimized by Kerrigan years earlier would even know he'd been transferred to Ronan at that point. Anyway, let's say the killer followed Kerrigan to Ronan and decided to blackmail him, threatening to share his dirty secrets with his new community unless Kerrigan paid him some hush money. The killer then lures him to a meeting in a remote, isolated area to make the payoff, but instead of accepting Kerrigan's $1,200, he decides to murder him. I have a feeling the killer believed this crime was totally justified. In their eyes, they were doing some good by ridding the world of a child molester, but if they actually took the $1,200 Kerrigan brought with them, they'd consider themselves to be nothing more than a common thief. There's a good chance this was a person who had never committed a crime in their entire life before this moment, and has possibly not committed another crime since. The crime scene is kind of a weird enigma, because the perpetrator was smart enough to wipe away all fingerprints from the vehicle, but they made no attempt to clean up all the blood evidence and cover up the fact that a violent crime had been committed. Now, when the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena posted Father Kerrigan's name on their website, the police finally revealed that they were actually aware of the sexual abuse rumors surrounding him since day one. But surprisingly, the Lake County Sheriff who is currently working the case says he does not believe these allegations were the motive for Kerrigan's murder, but he has never said what he thinks the real motive might have been. So until I hear otherwise, I will still continue to believe that a vigilante killing is the most likely theory. 
I would be very interested to know if the other missing man from the area, Curtis Holman, had any sort of history with Kerrigan. But if not, then the two disappearances are probably not connected. But if those rumors about Father Kerrigan were widespread in the area, then I wouldn't be surprised if some people there do know the identity of his killer, but will never talk because they believe Kerrigan got what he deserved. Now, let me reiterate that my whole theory about Father Kerrigan's murder being revenge crime only applies if the allegations against him are true. Remember, he was only accused of sexual abuse, and even though there's some pretty compelling circumstantial evidence, we technically cannot be 100% certain if Kerrigan was a child molester. This is all just speculation on my part. But this is important. I certainly do not want to give this same impression about Father Ronaldo Rivera. In spite of all these terrible sex abuse scandals within the Catholic Church, the majority of Catholic priests out there are genuinely good people, and it sounds like Father Rivera was one of them. By all accounts, Rivera was an upstanding human being in every way, and it seems like the guy didn't have any skeletons in his closet. So no, I do not think his murder was a revenge killing for sexual abuse. But even if there had been some unsavory allegations against Rivera, remember, he was not the first priest to answer the phone at the rectory that night. He only made that ill-fated journey to the rest stop because Father Gerard was unable to drive at night. Michael Carmelo's target was a Catholic priest, any Catholic priest, not specifically Father Rivera. So this crime was probably intended as a thrill kill, or this Carmelo guy might have just had some very deep-seated issues about the Catholic Church. With Kerrigan's case, the killer went to the trouble of hiding his body, which shows they had a vested interest in not getting caught. If they were a revenge-seeking vigilante, they very well could have gone back to living a normal life again after the murder. But the murder of Father Rivera? There's just something bizarre at work there. It seems like this Michael Carmelo didn't want to get caught since he went to the trouble of wiping Rivera's vehicle clean of fingerprints, yet he still left Rivera's body out in the open, which indicates that he wanted him to be found. If Carmelo didn't have a personal grudge against Rivera, why would he do this? I think it's significant that there was nothing taken from Rivera except his last rights kit, but the detective on the case theorizes that the killer wanted to keep it as a souvenir. Let's analyze his possible vendetta against the Catholic Church. Even if Father Rivera himself never personally committed any sexual abuse, I can't rule out the possibility that Carmelo might have been abused by someone involved with the Catholic Church at some point. If he was unable to get revenge on the specific person who abused him, then maybe he just felt the need to lash out at any Catholic priest in general. But it's also possible Carmelo felt he had been wronged by the Catholic Church for some other reason besides sexual abuse. Or maybe there is no anti-Catholic agenda here and the killer wanted to murder a Catholic priest just to see if they could. I'm still intrigued by the theory that more than one person might have been involved. Carmelo claimed he was going to be waiting for Father Rivera at the rest stop in a blue pickup truck, yet Rivera's own vehicle was found at another rest stop 110 miles away with an empty gas tank. If Carmelo stole Rivera's vehicle and drove such a long distance, that would imply that he did not have a vehicle of his own and arrived at the rest stop by some other means, such as hitchhiking or it means that the killer had an accomplice who drove him to the rest stop. After the murder was completed, this accomplice could have left in their own vehicle while the killer drove Rivera's car to the rest stop 110 miles away. 
The fact that Rivera's vehicle was left such a large distance away from Santa Fe would seem to indicate that the killer was not from the area and was simply passing through. And if that's the case, then that would make them a lot more difficult to track down. So we may never know the true identity of Michael Carmelo. But whatever the motivations, I do not think there was a serial killer of Catholic priests running wild during the 1980s, so I'm pretty certain Father Rivera and Father Kerrigan were killed by separate perpetrators. Enough time has passed that I'm not sure either of these killers are ever going to be caught, and well, if Father Kerrigan was murdered in retaliation for sexually abusing children, then I'm sure there are some people out there who never want his killer to get caught. I think the best chance for solving that one is if someone makes a deathbed confession. But regardless, I do think it's important that we learn the full truth about what happened, so I hope that both cases find some sort of resolution someday. So if you have any information about the murder of Father Ronaldo Rivera, the identity of Michael Carmela, or the disappearance of Father John Kerrigan, or hell, even the unsolved disappearance of Curtis Holman, please contact the appropriate authorities. But if you just have your own theory about what happened, I'd love to hear from you. If you have some more interesting information about either of these cases which wasn't covered on this episode, feel free to leave me a comment or send me an email. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at robin.warder at icloud.com. That's r-o-b-i-n dot w-a-r-d-e-r at i-c-l-o-u-d dot com robin.warder at icloud.com. I want to thank all my loyal listeners and supporters out there, especially those from the aforementioned Unsolved Mysteries message board at the Sitcoms Online Forum and the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit. I need to provide the obligatory shout-out to McGill Foote, who edits and assembles this podcast together for me, and is the managing editor of The Back Row, the website which hosts this very podcast. And of course, a big shout out to Vince Nitro, who composed the eerie music you hear on every episode. Uh, If you haven't already, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. And like I mentioned earlier, we also have a donate button on our website, so if you're feeling generous and want to express your appreciation for all the hard work we put into this podcast, we'd be extremely grateful. You can also check out my true crime and mystery articles at track.com and listverse.com. And there's plenty of other non-true crime content you can find right here at the back row. So have yourself a good two weeks and join me next time for another edition of The Trail Went Cold. The Trail Went Cold is part of the Back Row Podcast Network. Visit the-back-row.com for more. The theme song was composed by Vince Nitro. Thank you.